In uncertainty, one truth stands. God exists and is present in your life. As you trust Him, anxieties fade. God is guiding you. He has led you to this place and He will lead you on. The Bible teaches that those who follow Christ shall live by faith. Join us in this series to unlock the power of trust, embrace the benefits of trusting God, and watch your faith grow. Your journey into trust begins. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being with us. And all of you who are joining us online, we're so grateful that you are here and that you're worshiping the Lord with us. And from all of our campuses, from Richmond, Rosenberg, and Missouri City, and Sugarland Campus, we are one church in multiple locations. And we're so grateful that you are a part of our service today. I got a feeling you're going to remember uh, an event that happened just two years ago. In June of 2021, do you remember in Surfside, Florida, that there was a part of a 13-story condo that collapsed? The whole condo didn't collapse, just a part of the condo collapsed. 13 stories fell to the ground, killing 98 people. Can you imagine being just sitting on, on your sofa watching television and suddenly the whole floor disappears and the roof comes down and kills you and being in the kitchen making something and suddenly everything just totally falls away. Well, the studies have been uh, on that, and I'm sure they're ongoing, but they've discovered that part of, uh, at least part of the reason that this happened is a faulty foundation. That in that section of the condo, the foundation was missing some ingredients that were critical to it. And apparently those who were doing it understood that it was missing and patched it instead of tearing it all out and starting again. That's the best I understand about it. It became a time bomb. That section became a time bomb. You, could, you took pictures, it was beautiful on the outside, but the foundation was corrupted and it was going to fall. We just didn't know when. And I look at that story and I think to myself, it, it so illustrates my country, America today. And I'm gonna explain why I say that. Three weeks ago, I was um, at a faith and science conference uh, outside of Washington, D.C. Pastor Johnny Moore preached and he did such a great job. And uh, he was preaching, I was in Washington, D.C. and uh, I was at a faith and science conference that was hosted by Discovery Institute. And if you've never gone on Discovery Institute's website, you ought to, it's a fantastic organization that has been built off of scientists. And uh, so I'm there. It is a invitation only event. There were 165 people there and uh, they certainly weren't gonna give me an invitation. But one of the members of our church got an invitation, uh, Toby Perry, because he's a retired geologist. He got an invitation and he couldn't go. So he asked me, hey, would you be interested in taking my place? And I jumped at it. Everybody there were scientists and engineers 
and a, a Christian apologist. I was the only pastor. In other words, I was the dumb guy in the room. I didn't care. I wanted to be there. In fact, I loved it. I, I didn't want it to end. I just thought, well, this, way, this ended way too soon. We got to see here one lecture after another of some of the, the latest scientific discoveries and, and uh, stuff I had never heard before. I got the opportunity to actually meet individuals I admired. I had admired over decades. I got the chance to meet them and I was so, I was so excited. I didn't know anybody. So I made the decision that at every meal, I was going to sit with a different group. I wanted to meet as many people as I could meet, and I made a ton of friends. At one particular meal, uh, the group was ate around the table, and one of the guys said, have you guys read the, uh, the, the report that came out, the study that came out about the American culture? and nobody else had, and he went on to explain it. Now, he only explained it in a nutshell, so I don't have details, but here's how he explained it. He said, well, the explanation, the study showed that, the, that something critical happened in the latter part of the 1960s. I wasn't surprised by that timing. I've actually said that in several messages that I preached here. But at the, at the end of the 1960s, something critically shifted in the country. And he explained that what was explained in the study is that it shifted from being a religious-centered or religious foundation kind of to the culture, and religious would have meant Christianity, to an identity-slash-me-center to the culture. If you think back over the last 50 years, you, you see it. I mean, the whole identity thing, the whole me thing, all the way back to the latter part of the 1960s. Now, the 1960s had a lot of great things happen. We put two men on the moon for crying out loud at the end of the 1960s. In the 1960s, God raised up a man named Martin Luther King Jr. who helped lead a civil rights movement that had to happen can't have two decades of, of slavery and one decade, not decades, 200 years of slavery and 100 years of Jim Crow laws without a reckoning, without dealing with it and working, uh, working on that and reversing. You can't do that. It was good for this country. I'm not saying that all the music was great in the 1960s, but there was some really good music in the 1960s. Now, obviously that was before my time, but I have gone back in time and listened to some of that. Oh, I really like some of those songs. Now, this was my part. Go back to the guy making, having the story. He said that what happened in the latter part of the 60s is that there was a shift in what was the foundation of the culture from a religious foundation to a me identity foundation. And he said, what has happened is as description is it's just sort of a domino effect. And you have to think of a whole lot of dominoes and one moral after another, after another hit fall, fell and went to the other. And he said the, the whole LGBTQ thing is just a domino. It's just one of the dominoes. And the end result was the breakdown of morality, this is what he shared was the bottom line of the study, the breakdown of morality and of purpose and of general happiness. We're paying a price 
We're paying a price. And the end result will be, the study said, the end of morality as we know it. And the culture collapsing. Just like the condo that was destined to collapse. I know we think that's not going to happen with America, but I'm going to tell you, America is just one of a whole slew of major, huge nations and empires. All fell, and almost all of them from within. The collapse of the culture. We're just running history is all we're doing. So that was the end of what we were talking about, but let me just add one thing. I think I know what the next domino is. Because what's going to happen is enough Christians and churches are going to capitulate to the LGBTQ uh, power, uh, power surge and uh, immorality, and, and they're going to capitulate to it. But, and so it's going to keep on moving as a part of the culture. I think I know what the next domino is. And the reason is because a study came out at the beginning of the year. I don't know if you heard of it because I didn't see it on any news. Uh, a study came out from the United Nations recommending that we lower the age of adult intimacy with children significantly. Uh, this is the corruption of this United Nations. They, they came back and it's, it's 17 or 18 years. I promise you, you will, li- you will be alive and watch it come down to 15 because it's the next domino. And why do I say it? Because it is obvious that the culture is targeting children. They've pretty much corrupted adults as much as you can get, but now the target is children. This is why we're now being, we're watching in our country as children are being groomed from the time they are five years of age to the transgender thing and, the, uh, and highly sexualized. And please don't tell me that that's my imagination because I know it's not. I got too much proof. And we're watching it happen. Golly. And many Christians in denial the whole time. It's unbelievable. I don't know whether America is ever going to come back to God being a foundation. But I do know this, you and I can live our lives with God as the foundation of our life. And we will live a different life. You and I can choose to do that. And that's the challenge of this series. The series that we're beginning is called Trust Issues. And we've got them. We we have issues of trust. And in essence, learning how to trust God in real life. And we're going to do our best with this series. And if I felt like at the beginning of this, this series needed to be, had to begin with this, that the foundation of trust has got to be God. And I felt so led to begin the way I'm leading. The, the, I've had several messages uh, in my ministry here that were apologetics. Uh, by the way, the word apologetics doesn't mean to make an apology for, it means to make a defense of. 
a defense of the existence of God. There are pl- there's plenty of, of material for the defense of the existence of God, the nature of God, why God is who he is and what he does in our life. And I've really addressed several of those in my time here. But now I want to zero in. I want to focus this morning on one idea. And the idea is this, that we should trust God because God created the universe and everything in it. For most of science, for hundreds of years, science believed in what was called the steady state universe, that the universe has always been here, it'll always be here, and it, it was the Carl Sagan kind of thing, that that's a st- steady state universe. And for hundreds of years, that's how science viewed, and all the way back, quite honestly, you can trace it back to the Grecian Empire. Science all the way back to that Grecian philosophy of a steady state universe. Every religion talked about the universe as always being here, always, always going to be here, except one, except one religion. But then, a hundred years ago, something shocking happened. It was found in the cosmos. The evidence of it was so clear. Science stood up and were totally shocked, but changed because that's the good part of science, changed the steady state to realize there was a beginning to this universe. It was a shocking thing. And the universe is expanding and now contracting and all of us in this room believe it because that's all we've heard. But that was new 100 years ago, brand new. In a idea that is explained as the uh, Big Bang cosmology. I'm not gonna deal with Big Bang, okay? But that's the idea that science has developed, the Big Bang cosmology. Albert Einstein was one of the last premier scientists to hold out. And it's interesting because he's part of the reason it was found that there was a beginning of the universe, but he held out. He died in 1955 and he held out almost to his death, but right before his death, he finally gave in. And here, but here's why. His statement was, if I believe in a beginning of the universe, I gotta believe in a beginner. Because that's science. You, you, you can't just have something magically appear. And I refuse to believe in a beginner because I don't want to believe that, uh, in a God. But you gotta understand why Einstein was holding out. He was Jewish. He was from Germany. He lived during World War II. He saw six million Jews destroyed by Nazi Germany. And he only and his wife barely got out of Germany in time. He had all kinds of friends who were murdered. And he went through the whole horror of all of this. And he struggled to believe that there is a God when there are six million Jews that are being destroyed. And he just held out and held out. And right before he died, he said, obviously, there was a beginning of the universe. Here's here's what's interesting. The only significant philosophy, and this is in your notes, the only significant philosophy or religion that has ever existed in history has taught that the universe had a beginning is the Bible. Did you know that? 
No other philosophy, no other religion, only the Bible. We're so used to the Bible. There's Genesis and and Job and Psalms and the prophets, and we're so used to it. And science laughed and mocked at the concept, and then in the 1990s, yielded to the concept. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, is only a summation of all the passages in the Old Testament that talk about that beginning, but listen to the profound way in which it's described. Hebrews eleven three. by faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. That what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. What does it mean? It means that God spoke the universe into existence. He cannot be seen, but he is the author of it. And he made all of it out of nothing, out of his command and created everything that is in the universe. How did the Bible know this 2,000 years before science got figured out? How did it happen? How did it know this 4,000 years before? Because you go all the way back to Moses in the writing of Genesis and beyond. How did that, how did the Bible know when nobody else knew? Because the Bible is inspired by the God of the universe. That's why. There's got to be more than two amens to my statement. Okay. Come on. All right. But this is not, that's not all the Bible says. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 17. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Christ, all things were created, even in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And notice this last verse. He is before all things, and in Christ, all things hold together. Now what, if I get to it, if I get a chance, if I got enough time, I will show you physically how that is actually happening. Still holding all things together. But here's the point I'm trying to make. (laughs) It is time for you to make the most high God the foundation of your life. It is time for you to stop playing religion, stop playing Christianity, stop making excuses for walking away from God and recognize he created this universe and he is worthy of being the foundation of my life. And God is saying to you and me, I have you in my hand. I love you. I made you. I brought you into this world. And I care about you and I want to bless you. And I want to keep you and I want to protect you. And I want you to live your best life. King David said, I don't look to the mountains for the answers to my problem, I look to the God that made the mountains. And here's what I'm gonna say. Stop looking to creation and this universe and the comments of everybody else who know nothing and look to the God that knows everything and say, oh God, how do I live my life? And what do I do and I wanna follow you? That's what I'm saying. It is a powerful thing to say that this God created the world 
out of nothing and flung the stars into space. And this God says, I want to know you. And I want you to know me. And I want to have a relationship with you. And I want to show you how to live your best life. Wow. You think I'm going to apologize for being a Christian? You think I'm going to apologize for following the God of the universe and Jesus Christ, the Savior? You're crazy if you think I'm going to because it's my only hope. So, now I'm going to keep moving on this whole idea of creation and I'm going to get a little strange. So I'm telling you up front, it's going to sound more like science than it is a sermon, and I'm asking you to give me permission and just hang on, okay? I want to keep locking down on this idea that God is the God that created the universe. I want to share, share this because I can't get it off my heart, and I got to get it off my heart. I'm doing this. I am doing this part for the students, the middle school students and the high school students and the, and the college adults that are in our church and for the parents who are trying to guide their children through the whole evolutionary thing in science. Well, how do I guide? How do I do this? And I'm trying, I'm going to try my best. So here's the deal. I'm going to compare creation to evolution because honestly, it's important where we begin to determine how it is we live our life and the decisions that we make. And we've got to get this right. I wish that the next heading on your notes was worded better, but it's not. So now I gotta fix it. So here is the idea. Creation and evolution, as we compare them, a disagree only but the word only on two main ideas. And that statement must shock you. But I'm going to prove it. First of all, evolution has finally joined the Bible in believing that there is a beginning. You've got to give it some credit to at least caught up with the Bible about that issue. And before I get into the chart that you see on your notes, before I get there, I, here's what I want to say. Mark Hartman is a creationist. I don't think that surprises anybody, but Mark Hartman is a creationist. I believe, I know that there is a God in heaven and the God that is in heaven is the God of this Bible. And he created everything in it and in everything in the universe. He created the universe and everything in it. And this God is sovereign, which means that anything he wills, he does. And this God is in control. There's a second thing that's not in your notes, but I want you to know it. I am a biblical conservative. That is not a political statement. That is a theological statement. I have to say that because we have people from different nationalities and languages. That is a theological statement. What it means to be a biblical conservative is, I believe the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, I accept it as the word of God. I believe the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God. And that doesn't surprise anybody that's been here a while because you've heard that before from me. This is what, this is where I'm coming from now. I want you to get that. Here we go. Let's look at the chart Bring it up and let's take a look at 
five key areas of evolution. Evolution has five key tenets. The first is called microevolution. Now, creationists call that same thing like-kind genetic diversity. And all it means is that cells adapt and mutate. That's all it means. So here we go. That a horse, God made a horse. The horse adapted and mutated, and now you got Shetland ponies and Clydesdales. But they're all horses. Does this make sense? That horses can change and adapt and look different, but they're horses. That's what microevolution means, that it's still within the species. And creationists say, well, we have no trouble with that at all. This is how God made, made every single species. We have no trouble with that. There's no disagreement about that. The second principle is microbial microbial evolution, and it is simply, uh, uh, well, before I get, creationists call this like-kind genetic diversity in single-cell organisms because we make things as complicated as possible. This is how we say it. But what does it mean? It means that there are single-cell organisms like viruses and bacteria and single-cell organisms that change and they change to stay alive they adapt and they mutate to stay alive we've just been through a whole worldwide pandemic in which we got to see it here is this virus and and we get some medicine that helps overcome it and what does it do a new strain comes out then a new strain what are we on strain 56 right now a new strain a new strain a new strain what is it doing it's trying to live it's trying to survive. It's trying to overcome the antibiotic. And this is why you can't take the same antibiotic over and over and over again because there will be a, a change that happens and now it's not effective anymore. And creationists say, we don't have any problem with that at all. This is how God made single cell organisms. No problem, we totally agree. We totally agree. The third one is called speciation. Now, let me stop for a moment, and here it, I want to address a question I was asked. And the question I was asked is this. Why are you using evolutionary terms instead of creation terms? should be using creation terms, not evolutionary terms. So let me explain why. I'm doing it because when our students go to science class in public schools, they're not going to use creationist terms. They're going to use evolutionary terms. And I want that when they come to microevolution or microbial or speciation, when they come to these terms, oh, wait a minute, we talked, we talked about that in church. And this is what it actually means for us who are creationists. That's what I'm trying to do. You're going to encounter the, creation, the evolutionary terms, so I want you to have an ability to see where you are. Now, speciation is sort of microevolution on steroids, and it is the Galapagos and Darwin thing, uh, Galapagos, Galapagos Island and all that, and the, the bird, the finch, the bird. So here is the idea, and... I, you're talking, I'm, a preacher is now trying to describe it, not a scientist. So 
God, give me some grace. Here's the idea that in the Galapagos Islands, the finch would have adaptations to the environment and have mutations and would change in one direction. But in India, maybe, a totally different environment, it would have adaptations and change very differently to the point that now these two finches cannot procreate. So it's sort of microevolution on steroids. About, from my reading, about 70 to 80% of creationists say we have no problem with that. That totally fits the model, we're not concerned. The other 20 to 30% say, no, I want more definition and I'm not gonna agree on all your definitions. I'm gonna agree to a point. So I put agree in there because the truth is the majority do and probably all if the definitions are the same. So what am I telling you? I'm saying to you that for the first three of five tenets of evolution, creationists have no problem. Here is, this is what creationists are doing wrong. We're not saying this. But when you go to science class, most of what you're learning is the first three. And we as creationists should have done a better job of helping you to understand we don't have a problem with the first three. We have a problem with the last two. So why? Well, here's the, the fourth one. Macroevolution, now we have a problem. Macroevolution means that one species can become a different species. That the horse becomes a cow that becomes a giraffe. Now, that's a total exaggeration. But one species becomes another species. The problem is... We don't have the fossil records to back that up. We don't have any records to back it up. That is totally an assumption. And here's what is always attached to it. If given enough time, the species could have enough adaptations and mutations to become a different species. That's not proven. That was developed so that this whole creation of God thing could be explained away and go a different direction. 12 years or so ago, Kathy and I were in Austin at a faith and science conference because we love this stuff. And Pastor Juan Carlos was there. We didn't know he was going, he didn't know we were going and we saw each other there and, and all these creationists were speaking but one guy was given the opportunity to speak and, and uh, that was fair. He is, said he's a Christian, but he's an evolutionist. And when he, in his speech, he said, did you know we have now proven macro evolution and it's through the DNA because the human DNA has been proven to be 98% identical with chimpanzee, a chimpanzee DNA, 98%. So here's the smoking gun. This is the silver bullet. This is the evidence that we've been looking for finally. Well, nobody said anything because this was all new and we were, didn't know what to say or, or, or how to respond. But as time went by, it became obvious either that was poor science or it was a hoax because it wasn't, but a few years later that it was 80%, not 98. And then this year at the conference, I got to see the evidence that it's 60%. 
So why does it keep changing? And it's predicted to go to 40% and below. Why does the evidence keep changing? Because we keep learning more. We keep going deeper and deeper and deeper into the DNA and, be, and understand things we did not know. It keep, we keep learning. And the more science learns, the more it changes. And now the whole 98 thing was nothing but a hoax. So let me just tell you, there's not enough time in time to go from 60% to 100%. So there is no smoking gun. There is no silver bullet. We did not come from chimps. But I wouldn't be surprised that it's still in science books right now. I'm not trying to knock science. I love science. But science tends to follow the new discoveries between 10 to 20 years. I've just made some science teacher's mad at me right now, but it's just true. And I wouldn't be surprised to see the 98 in textbooks. Maybe not, maybe it's not there, and I owe science an apology, but I wouldn't be surprised. Macro has never been proven, and we reject it. The fifth is chemical evolution. It's the theory that uh, inorganic material, dead stuff, never been alive stuff, in this primordial soup, you ever heard that in, in evolution, primordial soup, that there were 20 amino acids inside this area and there was a spark, electric spark, all of a sudden the stuff that's dead turns to living. Living matter is created. It's the, these amino acids. That's never been proven. That's only a guess. And why I'm say, and I'm saying it's never been proven because it hadn't, and the tests have been made I don't know how many times. But I got the opportunity to hear a latest attempt. All the technology of all the computer power and all the, the right people in place. Failure, 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 failure. But I also got the opportunity to hear a scientist who did it explain why. And here's what he said. He took us through each one of the acids and their chemical makeup. And he said, you see this one? This one rejects this one. It repels it. It can't connect to this one. This one crosses out that one so it doesn't have the same effect. In other words, by the time he got finished, he said, the reason why these amino acids can't come together, will never come together by human tests is because they don't come together. And yet they did come together to form life. They shouldn't even stay together. And yet they do stay together. And do you remember what Colossians said? Jesus holds all things together. And it's so much like God to create life out of an impossibility to duplicate. A few years ago, I did a video course. I love to do these. 
I did a video course on, called Origins of Life, and it was from George Mason University in Fairfax, Virginia. And on my own free time, I would go through those courses. And, and uh, it was by Professor Robert Hazen, who was really a good teacher. I really enjoyed that. And, and it is about chemical evolution. I wanted to better understand the argument. And so a lot of it was over my head, but I followed it and I got all the way to the 17th video, all the way to the end, and nothing had been proven. Nothing had been proven that chemical evolution actually happened. Here's a direct quote from Professor, Professor Hazen, who's a good guy. He's, a, he's an evolutionist, I think, and, and he did a really good job. But here's what he said. Even the simplest living cell is so complex beyond anything we could imagine. Every cell depends upon the interplay of millions of molecules engaged in hundreds of interdependent chemical reactions. And he said that to then say this, and I paraphrase it because his was way too complicated and too long, and I just paraphrase it, and here's what he said. All of science agrees that there must be another missing scientific law that is yet unknown that relates to the beginning of life because nothing we can do can duplicate it. And I laughed when I heard it and I said, there is another law. His name is God. His name is God. Every, most every science book and science museum make this claim and you'll see it in science. The universe came into being undirected. But that statement cannot be proven. When we were in Washington, we took a trip to the uh, National Museum on Human History. I'd been there before because I used to live in the Washington, D.C. area. Went back and they said, here are the things to look for. And there it was. I'd seen it in every other museum too. But that is a religious statement. That's not a science statement. That is the religion of evolution statement. Its purpose is to stop any discussion about God. The problem is everything in science actually points to design and order because it was designed by a designer who is God. That's why you can make guesses in science and they come out true because it is a design and you can predict it. Hebrews 11 verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It came from God. So how did the Bible know thousands of years ago? Because Psalm 33 verse 6 says, By the word of Yahweh, which is a name of God, were the heavens made, the starry host by the breath of his mouth. Let all the earth fear God. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood still. And here's what I'm asking from you. Would you take the truth the truth of the creation of this universe by one God who loves you. And would you welcome him onto the foundation of your life? Would he become the foundation? Would you let him now lead your life 
and guide your life and let your life be all he intended to be instead of fighting him, constantly pushing him away, telling him, no, stop it. It is obvious he's there and he loves you and he wants you and would you allow him to be a part of your life and give your heart to him and now start living a life led by him to live your best life. You only get one shot. Don't blow this. Turn your heart to Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to you today, and oh God, we need you, we want you, you are there, and we are so grateful. And we ask, Father, that you would help us more and more come to an understanding of who you are. God, there are times we don't understand you. We don't understand why you do what you do, why you you don't do things we want you to do. We don't understand. And sometimes it hurts, and sometimes we get angry. But, oh, God, it's not because you're flawed. It's because we don't know you yet. We don't understand you yet. But, oh, God, I pray that in this series you would help us take another step or two toward understanding you more fully. Help us. Teach us. And, oh, God, today we stop the fight. We stop pushing you away. And today we say, God, would you be my God? Move in hearts today to receive Jesus as their Savior and all of us, yielding ourselves to you as Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.